On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, we're kicking off a new year with some suggestions from brewing industry professionals that have some tips that can help your small brewery achieve big things over the next 12 months. This is John Hall. Welcome to the show. Episode 13, and this is our first anniversary, and I'm really grateful for all of the support you've given us over the last year, and I'm looking forward to an all-new season of Brewing Insight that will help have a positive impact on the nano brewing segment. January is a time of renewal, of resolutions, and to set up for success over the months to come. This year obviously feels a little different because of the pandemic, but it's still a good time to make positive changes. To that end, I'm happy that on the show this month is Julia Hers of Hers Muses Enterprises and Jeff Mello of Bootleg Biology. I'll talk with them in a moment, but first, however, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. Again, that's BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And don't miss three different in-depth live online boot camps coming up that are going to be definitely of small interest to small-scale craft breweries. On February 26th, author John Palmer helps you tackle brewing water adjustments. On March 5th, Dr. Chris White and Kara Taylor teach you yeast techniques and lab skills. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Audra Grisenes on startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on all three of these upcoming nano boot camps can be found online at byo.com slash boot camps. So what's on your schedule to accomplish in 2021? What do you want for yourself, for your brewery, for your employees? Sometimes you need a little encouragement and a chance for some expert perspective. My first guest of the year is Julia Herz. She was the craft beer program director at the Brewers Association until the middle of last year when the pandemic led the association to lay off a large amount of their staff. Long a champion of the craft beer industry, she has not gone far, and just this month announced the launch of Hers Muses Enterprises. There, she is a strategic solutions consultant, a speaker, advocate, educator, and of course, beer lover. I was looking for some perspective to kick off this year, and maybe a few things to add to your to-do list. Julia, as always, came well prepared. She spoke to me from Colorado. Here we are at the beginning of a new year, and the flipping of a calendar usually means, okay, it's a fresh start. Let's try to uh, make the best of the 12 months that we have ahead of us. And this year is obviously a little bit weird because of COVID and just sort of feels like a continuation of last year. But as you're thinking about small brewers, what do you encourage them to be thinking about as a new year begins that can set them up for success so that by the time this year is over, there's a sense of accomplishment or a sense of happiness or satisfaction? And maybe a sense of the doors are still open. Well, that's the big thing we hope. There's that too, right? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, great opportunity in the beginning of any new year, especially after so much disruption, to get at the big picture strategic um, thinking. And that's what always, I think, leads to um, the long-term success. And what comes to top of mind on the question of what should Nano and, and the smallest of small be paying attention to, obviously being so customer-based, um, you know, meeting meeting customers where they are most comfortable is is a huge concept to continue to drill into. Mm-hmm. Um, Pre-COVID brewers were doing it, you know, with their um, the standard model, right? With their interactions, one pint, one half glass, one keg, one growler at a time. Um, but what you know, classic marketing is is the customer is the hero, and if you're a brand, you're there to solve something for their for them, the hero. So you make them more of a hero. So what are you going to do to solve their thinking when they're like, I want a beer? How are you going to get in their mix? And how are you going to make their their lives and their reward better for engaging with your beer and your brand? So everything from I've seen Hess, Hess Brewing in San Diego create a drive through situation, right? We all love drive throughs Breweries aren't doing that. Whoa. But yet that that model's fully sitting there. So if you don't want to get out of your car, but you still want my beer and maybe some of my prepackaged foods or, or foods from the food truck, we're going to figure out a way to deliver it to you. And we're going to market that as a program. You know, Left Hand Brewing, and even though, you know, Way Advanced Regional did a great program, beer for a year. You buy $100 worth of merchandise for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And then you come back once a month and fill a free gra- fill your growler for free. And I'm going to go back 12 times to left hand now because of that program. Um, and, you know, that's that's a, that's a huge one. Meet the customer where they are so you help make them more of a hero and you're their authority and trusted guide. It, it's so interesting, though, because you know, pre-COVID, it, it was not guaranteed. But if you if you had a brewery, uh, people were going to find their way to your door. They were going to walk in and they were either going to like it or not. And you know, hopefully they, 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 they would enjoy it. Um, but everybody who had to to use the 2020 word of pivot uh, to this new reality so quickly, I think got a little bit of whiplash um, of, OK, this is how we do it now. What, what are you thinking for set, settling in for long term? You know, there, there's vaccines being rolled out now, but a lot of these changes, do you, do you think they'll be with us well past the pandemic? I do think many will stick. Some will go away because things go back to normal easily. But let's look at the expanded marketplace, right? You know, for the taproom brewery, who really doesn't depend on outside retail sales, and they do depend on their backyard marketplace, pre-COVID, no taproom breweries were thinking about um, DTC or direct-to-consumer sales and the, and their website as an avenue for sales, as relevant and even more powerful um, for reach to expanded audiences and marketplaces. But now they either are or should be. So I, I think that one will absolutely stick. You know, using your website um, to be a, a venue for your online events, right? Bell's Brewing is doing now tastings. You can order a kit from them and, you know, Hop Slam that just got released. I'm on a Thursday night call with John Mallett going to, he's going to talk me through hop slam. So the website now, I think as a model of not just a tap room in person, but it's your online tap room now, and it can deliver an experience 
of sales and enhanced value is huge and and it and it should stick because there's so much more opportunity for expanded marketplace um, reach mm-hmm. and expanded audiences. A lot of small breweries will say, okay, left hand bells, et cetera, have big staffs. They have people who are dedicated to it. I'm a small operator. I you know, the brewer and the janitor and the bartender and the and and and, and the everything else. Um is there a way to find balance, do you think, or, or prioritizing these programs or benefits of prioritizing these programs? Right. Because, yeah, you can only do so much in a week and a day. Yeah. It, it, it That's a really tough question, John. And I think we all deal with that in our personal and professional lives. Frankly, you know, what's what 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 re, without risk, there's no reward. So trying new strategies and tactics does take time. But often what percolates to the top of where you spend your time is, frankly, what's going to be most effective. And so if it takes shifting your time from old tactics that you're nurturing that are kind of only kind of somewhat getting you by, then I don't think the risk is too large to try new things that then might replace the time that you would have spent on older things that weren't as effective. What else comes to mind for what's called a New Year's checklist? What else comes to mind um, is that every customer is not the same, different purchasing patterns, different behaviors, different needs, different triggers, right? Emotional levels, levers that are pulled. So I would encourage the smallest of small breweries to always think about their customers at minimum in two groups, right? There's your first time customer and how do you get to them? That's your expanded group because they're not in your tribe yet. Mm -hmm. And then there's your current customer, which in a more evolved fashion, you should think of them as a repeat customer. Um, And how often can you get them to repeat? Those two notions with concerted efforts behind those two separate groups, um, I think uh, will take small breweries far. Were there conversations that you were having a year ago, if we go back to January of 2020, before COVID was fully on our on on our on our radar, what were the conversations among the brewers that you were that you were having then, and are any of them translatable to today, or has the beer world just completely changed? <laughs> it's a big one too, right? Because we were hearing everything from bloodbath at retail. Uh, to the watering down of craft, which I think it totally has been co-opted, the notion of craft. And, and there was you know, lots of talk of that in the beginning of 2020. Um, the diversity topic and the need to diversify the craft brewing community and those that work within the 160,000 full and part-time jobs um, and, uh, and the audience and the customers for craft was more than emerging. And I'm, 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 I'm sad to say because of George Floyd and the, and the killing of Breonna Taylor um, and the climate that 2020 was not including COVID. Uh, I think the diversity topic um, thankfully has become even more front and center, more ingrained, more important to the US brewing community. Um, so that is something that only just grew and um, I think blossomed, but there's a lot of work still to be done. So those are those are a couple of things that I think in first quarter, pre really COVID kind of monopolizing the conversation that were being discussed. You know, you you talked about uh, the watering down of craft. Um, I mean, a lot of places are now 
beverage companies, not necessarily just just breweries. Uh, yeah. We're seeing seltzer and 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 other other drinks and in other spaces, non alcoholic, uh, locale, uh, etc. Um, a lot of folks will say, okay, well that's a that's a that's a larger brewery game. You know, they have the capacity for it. Um, what do you say to the smaller breweries about diversifying portfolios? I absolutely had on my notes for this call asking small breweries, are you a beverage company or are you a brewery? Or even third, which doesn't get any play, are you a manufacturing facility? Right? Ooh. And 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 the time, you know, not factory style, but are you a manufacturer? Because it, it things are so myopic sometimes. And John, you bring this up in a lot of your work that you know the beer world's really insulary and, and the beer world is expected others to learn from them. And yes, the beer world kind of cross-pollinated the concept of craft to many industries that now benefit from it. But what can the beer world learn from other industries still needs to come up. And, and you're certainly an advocate for that. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to breweries or manufacturing facilities. And think about when prohibition happened, right? Another huge cultural event. And breweries couldn't produce beverage alcohol. So they became, you know, um, manufacturing facilities for things like, you know, malted milk balls and ice cream yeah. um, and, and a multitude of other things. And then think about when, you know, COVID hits, the hand sanitizer opportunity was sitting there the entire time, but COVID hits and then the light bulb goes off. Then it becomes an industry and a, and a viable thing for breweries to manufacture. So I would take it beyond breweries um, with the infrastructure that they built uh, to thinking themselves as just beer, but beverages and manufacturing facilities with, you know, a lot of potential for innovation and disruption just based on the infrastructure that they have in place and um, brands and services that they can still provide their community that others can't. I feel like I have other questions that I want to ask you, but I, I love that you come prepared for calls like this with notes in front of you. That is that is a level <laughs> of preparation roll. that I never do uh, when I'm being uh, interviewed. So so rather than me trying to come up with a, another brilliant question, I might just say, what else you got on your paper, Julia? <laughs> uh, you know, the, we hit a lot, but the, I mean, this, the, ma this the, makes my job so much easier. Like you just like came prepared where it's, you know, like... Who cares about your well, you question, Hall? Like, let's, yeah. No, your questions were great, and you gave me three, but then what I just relayed was my fourth. So you let me insert that, and now I have a fifth. So okay. Thank you. Um, it's a little deeper than when I talked about the expanded marketplace via the website. Like, I mean, really looking at direct-to-consumer sales, like small breweries should become compliance experts. And yes, I'm putting another thing in your ninja hat that you have to become, but if you really a sales avenue, become familiar with what's going on in the laws and what you are allowed to do shipping wise with your beer and how you can create demand for it in you know, markets that are outside of your backyard footprint. So that's a whole nother world. Um, there's direct to consumer sales you know, specialists and um, technology experts, um, software as a service, SASS is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and there are ways to just have, you know, hire your gurus to guide you through this so they can help you increase your sales and frankly mop up what 
sales you may have lost in 2020 or what new sales you, you know, expect to grow into in the next two years. So that, that's a big one on my mind is no matter how small you are, think big. And thinking big means really becoming aware of the technology now available to you um, and the sales markets that you can now reach. I dig that. Um, 2021 brings a new adventure for you uh, with a with a new business. Can can you tell us about Hers Muses Enterprises? Sure. Hers Muses Enterprises is my business. I started it after my layoff from the Brewers Association in July of 2020. Um, and I have been able to construct and build what is comfortable to me to bring um, back uh, value to those that I will be fortunate enough to serve and, and work for and with. So I am consulting on a strategic level, uh, not just in beer, but to beer, small business and, um, and nonprofits. I am also, uh, you know, now I've advanced my game where I was already kind of a professional speaker, but commonly under the association um, realm, we didn't take pay. We covered the bills, we covered the travel, we covered what it took to get me as a professional speaking in front of your intimate crowd or, or crowd of thousands. And so now I am a speaker for hire and um, I'm excited about that. And then I will also be uh, initiating entrepreneurial enterprises that uh, allow me to, to pay the bills and take my, my knowledge and learnings from growing an entire beverage category, AKA you know, um, craft beer, uh, and, and take those learnings and apply those to, uh, projects and passions that matter to me. That, that's such a, a I, I love hearing that first of all, and, and everybody should be going to hersmuses.com to, to learn more about this, this program that you're doing, but, um, or you know, the, the, this new venture, but, um, but staying positive and also finding new challenges as well. Um, I, I think, when I talk to small brewers, a lot of the time there's, you know, well, I'm making, making IPA, I'm doing okay. And, you know, there, there's not always, you know, the level of passion there that maybe was at, at, at some point, uh, mm -hmm. early on. Um, and I, you've always struck me as a big proponent of trying to be passionate no matter the situation. Um, is that something we need now more than ever? Big deep question, and I think our <laughs> That's why I'm here. Each of our, <laughs> probing journalism for sure. Each each of our um, our tolerance levels, right? Our palatability of um, what we do that we don't like to do is different. There's a spectrum, and so on that question, I guess, and it's a, it's a tough one, so I don't know if I'm going to answer it easily. You know, if anyone finds that what they're doing day after day, week after week is not what they like to do, that's something sometimes you just got to slog through. But if it turns into month after month and year after year, you need to let it go. Yeah. And so that's my quick hit answer to what you just said is, yeah, we all have to slog through things. We all have to deal with our weaknesses that um, are not enough and what we don't like to do. So that takes sucks the joy and the passion out of things. Um, but if it's a momentary thing and, and just part of the, the gig, you know, find, find a way to still find the joy. But if it's continuing on and on and getting worse and worse and there's more dread and dread, then you need to shift gears and change it up. As we think about uh, 
2021. Uh, a lot of people make resolutions at the beginning of the year. Uh, craft is still a, a pretty big industry. Um, is there a group resolution you'd like to see happen across craft beer this year? Ooh, it's a biggie. If craft beer could do anything, you mean, in 2021 sure. as yeah. a certain community? Put your mind to it and get it done. Yeah. Um, I think my concerted wish would be that craft continues to hold on to the authenticity of what got it here today. The Charlie Papazian homebrewer emerging into professional, um, hey, I can actually make a living at this gig to, oh no, now I also got to be a business expert kind of thing. So kind of to distill that down into a wish is, is I wish that the give or take 8,000 plus breweries that are considered independent craft brewers hold on to the authenticity, but, um, you know, uh, grow to be savvy enough as businesses because the world has its, you know, big boy and girl pants on all around you in your authentic, you know, world. Mm -hmm. You know, grow savvy enough to to keep the doors open and be innovative and be an exciting, you know, disruptive um, brand. That's that's my wish. I love it. Julia Hers is the founder and uh, powerful force, I should say, behind Hers Muses Enterprises, and she is offering strategic solutions as a consultant, a speaker, an advocate, an educator, and of course, a beer lover. Julia, thanks for being on the show for this uh, first of 2021. I, I appreciate the time that you're taking and wish you all the best with this with this new venture. Absolutely, John. Good beers to you. Good beers to all the listeners and everyone. Be well, be healthy, and uh, thank you for listening. Our thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Blickman Pro Brewing. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Learn more at BlickmanPro.com. Last year, we spent a lot of time talking about hops and malt, but probably not enough time talking about yeast. And I wanted to rectify that. So up next is Jeff Mello. He's the chief yeast wrangler at Bootleg Biology in Nashville. And since keeping our yeast happy and healthy is something we should all be thinking about all the time, I wanted to pick his brain about best practices. And I also wanted to hear his thoughts on trends. He spoke to me from Tennessee. We're at the top of a new year and I think this is usually a, a good opportunity for people to think about best practices for you know, the rest of the calendar year. You know, set yourself up for success in January, and you know, the rest of the year might go a little smoother. Although, you know, who knows these days? But, um, but it's a nice thought to have when when it comes to the world of yeast. What what do you suggest small brewers should be doing? at this time of year to sort of set themselves up for best practices as the year goes on? Well, I think there's some specific concerns that nano brewers need to focus on right now. And I really think it's how to maximize um, their yeast and bacteria cultures. Um, because when you're buying small, you are really paying more um, for your, your products, whether it's hops, yeast, malt, 
Um, so really trying to keep your cultures alive, keep them healthy, um, and try to avoid um, having to buy a culture for every batch you brew. So really focusing on your yeast handling, um, preventing contamination in your cultures, um, harvesting aseptically, just kind of like the, the basic nuts and bolts of handling cultures so that you can get the most value out of your pitches. That's really important. And so the handling is crucial. The storage is crucial. Um, it's hard, I think, when you're working on a small scale to not lean on some of like what a lot of people's like homebrew experiences, because a lot of people start homebrewing. And when you're nano brewing, it's kind of, you know, putting your feet in commercial and homebrew in some ways mm-hmm. um, to save money. Um, and I think it can be easy to use homebrew techniques, which um, are great when you're super nano, but as you scale up, um, you can do things that might be detrimental to your brewing. So like, say, storing your like yeast culture in a, a corny keg or something like that. Corny kegs are, aren't great aseptic storage vessels for yeast. Um, and we just see a lot of problems with people who um, harvest their yeast and repitch it when they store it um, and things like that. So you really want to use containers um, that are easy to clean, that are aseptic. So if you use more of a sinky style fittings, that's the best way to do it. Um, also, keeping yeast in in storage is really important when you're harvesting because, you know, cold weather months, um, regardless of where the world is, um, it's usually a bit slower for the brewing industry. You kind of need to keep your yeast cultures healthy and happy in between brews because you may not be pitching and harvesting constantly to keep that yeast culture alive. So keeping it stored cold, um, trying to prevent it from being stored under pressure. So even if you do store it in a keg, make sure you know, you're not getting CO2 buildup. Um, those kind of things can be detrimental uh, for yeast cultures. Um, if you're repitching mixed cultures, uh, making sure you're not keeping it stored long-term in a low pH environment. So if you're doing these kind of like mixed culture saisons or gozas, um, you really want to um, be repitching fresh or harvesting and repitching quickly or finding another way to store those cultures because the yeast can really, the viability can fall off the shelf really quickly if it's stored under pressure, if it's stored warm or it's stored in a low pH environment. So how, how, how quickly on is, handling, yeah. I was going to say, how quickly is really quickly in your mind or in your experience? Well, you know, we know a lot of people... Um, want to hit these low pH numbers of like even like 3-2, 3-3 mm-hmm. on their gozas and quick sours. And if you're doing a mixed culture, whether it's yeast or just bacteria, um, you know, in a matter of, a you know, one week, two weeks, you know, if it's stored warm, it's, it's really going to die quickly. If you keep it cold, um, you're going to have a longer shelf life. You know, most people know that. But the additional uh, factor of a low pH, I mean, within a couple of weeks, um, it could die off very quickly. And so that's well, even when you're on a small scale, if you can focus on learning on um, how to do cell counts and viability checks, mm-hmm. you can adjust your pitching so that if you do lose some of that viability and storage, you know to pitch a little bit more, pitch a little bit more slurry. And so you can get a good, healthy kickoff in your fermentation. And that'll prevent having to lose a batch because of you know stalling out um, from a low viability pitch. Are there other, as you you know graduate to 
a small professional system from home brewing. Um, anything else that sort of comes to mind? I mean, you, you just laid a lot on us, but I'm curious if there's anything else top of mind. I mean, I really think you just, you need to try to save as much money as possible. And I think I even recommend sometimes to, um, people buying yeast cultures, there are little hacks that you can do that, you know, you know, yeast labs may not want you to do, but, you know, <laughs> say you're on a five barrel system, um, and you know, you're going to brew two batches, um, in a week, you could order a 10 barrel pitch. Um, and as long as you're, you know, safe with your cleanliness, um, you could split that pitch in half and, and there you go. You've just cut your costs per barrel. Um, and then you have kind of two, I like to think of them as like trees, two lineages of healthy yeast that you can work off of so that when you're repitching you know, from a harvested pitch, you have two lines. So that if one gets contaminated, you've got another one that you can work off of. And usually when you're harvesting yeast, you can typically get anywhere from two to three batches worth of harvesting, hmm. um, depending on the yeast culture. So just really give yourself as many options as possible. Don't, don't go all in, all in on one on one pitch because the last thing you want to do is, you know, start your brew day and then you go to pitch your yeast and you're like, there's something wrong here. Now I'm, now I'm in trouble. You know, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have an emergency situation with your yeast. As we, you mentioned a lot of, you know, goes as a mix firm, uh, beers that are, you know, out there these days. And obviously there's some, um, you know, cool recipes that have been developed and some cool flavors that are coming out of it. Um, what's exciting you, in the yeast world as far as, you know, new strains, new varieties that, uh, you think, uh, brewers should be paying attention to? Well, I think, um, the two things that come to mind, um, one is just, it will never go away. And I mean, it's just, it's loggers. I mean, I think every, (laughs) not every brewer, but most brewers really want to make a killer lager. Mm -hmm. And I think, as tap rooms open back up again, um, having a killer lager on draft, no matter what your style of brewing is, even if you're, uh, you know, you're brewing a bunch of hype beers, um, having a good lager on tap, you know, impresses other brewers and there's always something for someone. So really trying to find out the best lager yeast for your system, trying to save yourself some money because usually there's super high pitch rates with lagers. So finding a way to maximize that. Um, so, I'm always going to advocate doing what makes the best beer, but there are things like our Oslo culture, you know, that is a quite culture that makes super clean lager like beers. We have a, a new culture regal that we're beta testing now, um, which is, I think makes a very authentic tasting lager. Um, but you can do it in like under a week. So when you're nano, you really have to turn things around quickly. You don't. Yeah. I was going to say that, that, that's the hard thing with being small (laughs) is, is, uh, tying up tank space for for weeks and weeks and weeks yeah you may not have a a corner of the brewery that you can you know (laughs) put a tank in and forget about it for two months you know you kind of just have to maximize your space so things like that i think are really important you can still hit those uh, beer styles that people love but um really kind of turn it around quickly and still taste good and still taste authentic Um, so i think having a killer lager is never going to be a bad idea and then i think the other thing is just really exciting is People are really, and it's not just dry January, I think people are really getting into low alcohol, you know, low gravity, um, non-alcohol um, yeast strains, because you just, having something for everyone, having a more health conscious 
option for people. And those beers can still taste like good beers if they're done right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think figuring out um, what culture works best for your system, what you're trying to make, it could be an IPA. Um, you could make a non-alcoholic sour beer. Uh, you have lots of options that fit in the overall color wheel of, of craft beer styles, um, but still gives uh, a, a no alcohol or low alcohol option. And so I think that's the exciting thing in the yeast world right now is, you know, trying to find the right yeast for that. And so we've been doing a lot of R&D on trying to find the best cultures. And I think people will be surprised when they actually try a good one or make a good one that it's it's a beer style that's uh, actually pretty tasty. Hmm. I dig it. Um, when when you're thinking about some of these low alcohol um, beers as well, are, are there other considerations to take in to account yeast-wise? Do you think, because you're right, that like they really are popular these days and they're 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 taking off and it's a category that we're seeing a lot of a lot of growth in but you know there might be an intimidation factor or you know i i, I don't know what uh, on, on behalf of brewers but um i, don't, well, I think yeah. i think you want to focus on yeast cultures that are really low attenuating um and thankfully you know there's a lot of even if you don't get a yeast culture that is specifically for um, low alcohol or no alcohol brewing, um, there's a lot of really unique species of yeast out there. You can do low alcohol brewing with brewer's yeast. I mean, there's some really poor attenuating brewer's yeast, um, you know, the same strains that people are making these uh, really uh, high final gravity, you know, pastry stouts, you know, theoretically you could use with low alcohol brewing. Um, You just start with a very low, original gravity and then pitch a very low attenuating yeast strain. And for the most part, you'll get a a minimal amount of attenuation and you'll still get some body in your beer and you'll get just enough fermentation to create those flavors that we recognize um, are part of beer. And so you don't necessarily have to go down the rabbit hole of finding the world's most unique low alcohol strain. You can kind of use what's already in your brewer's toolkit if you uh, have some time to do some R&D on those things. I know you've done some some work and mapped out uh, some of the Kreik yeast, um, uh, and I know that remains popular in home brewing, and uh, there are professional brewers that are still embracing it and coming around to it uh, now and again. Um, what are you seeing on that front? Where Where is your discovery taking you? Or I think your what research, we're finding is say. that, yeah, yeah the, the, I mean, there's just a huge wide range of quite cultures and i think you know it's been so exciting for so long that people are just trying to map out every single quite culture and people are starting to find their favorites um you know i think the Voss culture is very very quickly took off and has become dominant but there are so many different variants that people use and like and the people who try to test them out kind of have their all their favorites and I don't think you need to be stuck on one. I would try actually as many as you can get a hold of because every yeast lab kind of has one or a few unique ones. Um, I'm personally, you know, our our thing with bootleg is trying to do something innovative and different and not just copy-paste um, yeast cultures out there. So what we've been doing um, since day one is working on unique blends. And so we've been doing all kinds of fun blends with Kawaik. And I think... You know, that's not something just a yeast lab needs to do. That's something a brewer can do anytime. You know, you can take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and kind of come up with your own blend. You know, so we mm. do custom blends for people. Um, 
So they they can order say, okay, I want you know 20% of this yeast and another percentage of that, and that'll get my sweet spot for what I want flavor-wise, attenuation-wise, temperature-wise. You know, um, but that's something you can do on your own too. You know, that's why you know I mentioned earlier, like getting a slightly larger pitch than maybe you need. You can kind of come up with your own blend in that situation, or you can work with a yeast lab like Bootleg, and we can kind of help guide you to come up with. Um, something whether it's involving a little bit of quite or even if it's just a blend of different ipa strains to make your ipa stand out from others i like that it's sort of like a yeah boutique blend kind of thing um mm-hmm. i dig that well as uh we're here standing at the beginning of the you know a new year um what's your one piece of advice yeast wise to everybody who's listening what's your what what should their resolution be for <laughs> for yeast in the craft beer space um i think my thing is just uh baby your yeast um I, just don't take it for granted it's not an off-the-shelf ingredient it's not pulling hops out of the freezer really try your best to understand how yeast works and operates and then talk to you the yeast lab that you like working with and lean on their experience and knowledge and selecting strains. Um, I think you, there's a lot of options these days, but really focusing on learning the most you can about yeast and who makes the best yeast for what your brewing is. Um, and treat yeast as the primary driver of your brewing instead of maybe a, a secondary consideration. And that's I'm totally biased on that, <laughs> but uh, I think I worship the altar of, of yeast culture. So I think making yeast the primary uh, focus of your brewing um, will never be a bad idea that's jeff Mello. he's the chief yeast wrangler at bootleg biology in nashville tennessee you can find them on all the social medias at bootleg biology and also online at bootlegbiology.com jeff thanks for taking the time and being on the first show of the new year i appreciate it thanks john this is awesome before we go i'd like to hear from you what are your brewing resolutions for 2021? You can email nano at byo.com and tell us. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of each month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And of course, thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. Again, that's BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And don't miss three different in-depth live online boot camps coming up this year that are definitely going to be of interest to small-scale craft breweries. On February 26th, author John Palmer helps you tackle 
Brewing Water Adjustments. And on March 5th, Dr. Chris White and Kara Taylor teach you yeast techniques and lab skills. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Audra Gazanas on startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on all three upcoming nano boot camps can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. You can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our thanks, as always, to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music for this show. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, I'm wishing you all the best for a small but successful brew day. Thanks for listening.